soldiers, a cross, and an earthquake. Grab your Bible and let's talk. Welcome to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast, where Bible study and thought-provoking conversation lead to creative teaching. Now, here are your hosts, David and Mary Nelson. David, it's so good to sit together again and talk about another event in the life of Jesus. And wow, this one is a major. The Old Testament points to the crucifixion. In fact, we talk about the cross a whole lot. It's really good to actually open our Bibles and take a closer look. Yes, our text today is going to be taken from Matthew chapter 27, verses 32 through verses 56. After the soldiers have their fun with the condemned man, Jesus, mocking the claim to be the king of the Jews, they led him away to the place of execution, the place of the skull. Even the name of that just sounds ominous, doesn't it? It does. So on the way, the soldiers, they compel Simon to carry Jesus's cross. And probably because it was too much for Jesus, because we have to remember that he had been up all night. He had been severely beaten. And so by this time, he was exhausted and probably dehydrated. Says in verse 34 that the soldiers, they offered Jesus sour wine mixed with gall, which is a very bitter herb. Why are they doing this? Well, a couple of possibilities. They could be mocking him in this gesture. That would not be out of character for them. Or possibly showing him a little mercy since this drink had a slight narcotic effect, lessening the pain of crucifixion. I mean, it could be doing that to prolong Jesus's agony on the cross. But Jesus refused to drink this. He is suffering. In this passage of Scripture, he's suffering in so many different ways. The physical suffering of a cross. I mean, the crucifixion is a method of punishment and death. The Romans just had this very cruel way of punishing the worst kind of criminals. That's right, they did. The Bible just says in verse 35, the soldiers nailed Jesus to a cross. And that's all it says. It doesn't go into any detail about what they did or anything like that. Mary, you have some information on your website about crucifixion, which it would be interesting for people to go and read, give some background information about crucifixion. But it was a cruel way. The Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but they perfected it. It was one of the worst kinds of torture the Romans could keep someone alive on the cross for up to three days and in agony the whole time. So the idea of arms being stretched out and nailed to the cross and then actually nails through the ankles, the legs being sort of crossed one over another and a nail driven through to the wood of the cross— it had somebody in a posture of being stretched out. And if you just relaxed, even though I hate using that word, but if you relaxed, your lungs could not take in air. So you had to actually use your feet to lift yourself up to get that air. Can you imagine with those nails through your ankles? I mean, the agony. But if they didn't lift up, they would die. So a person would just continue to do those motions. It hurts me to even say that, to think of, my Jesus on that cross. And it's so repulsive and so horrible. 
that Roman citizens were not allowed to be crucified. That was beneath them. And so it was reserved for slaves and revolutionaries, those who were convicted of treason. Crucifixion was not only a means of torture. The Romans used it as a powerful political symbol. It was symbolic of Roman power and Roman authority. So when people saw the cross, they were reminded who was in charge of this place. It was Rome. And as I was reading through this passage again, David, I just was reminded it is a spectacle. There's a sign put over Jesus saying he's guilty. He says he's the king of the Jews, kind of a mockery. People walked by. It wasn't just done out in the middle of nowhere or in secret. They wanted people to see the agony. They wanted people to think to themselves, I am not going to cross Rome because look what could happen to me. Exactly. Just that sign reminded people, this is what happens to those who think that they are a rival to Caesar. This is obviously a physical torture, a physical suffering of Jesus's body. But there's more. It's like it's not enough just to be physically tortured. There is this mental thing going on. All of these people are watching him. It says the soldiers are just sitting and watching. How sad is that? To sit and watch. There happened to be two other men crucified that day, one on each side of Jesus. They would have been those criminals, robbers, some versions say, but really the revolutionaries. So who knows what they did exactly, but these were bad guys. The idea of Jesus, totally innocent, never having done anything wrong. He could have stopped all this. He had the power to stop all of this. But the idea of him hanging on a cross, suffering as an innocent man, while these two terrible men on either side, guilty men, the irony of that. But also there were Jewish leaders, some of those teachers, the ones that really wanted him on that cross. They were there. They were insulting him, making fun of him. All of that would have been this mental torture also, just to hear that, to be accused in that way in front of everyone. There are a variety of characters who are paraded by the cross. The soldiers, like you mentioned, they're gambling as well for his only piece of clothing. There's a people walking by, just shaking their heads, and they're deriding him as well because Jesus doesn't live up to their expectations. We have everybody at the cross in some way mocking Jesus, insulting him. This was all part of Jesus's humiliation and his shame. I just noticed, and I put circles around the words if in my Bible, David, just that the people were saying, if you're really the son of God, save yourself. He is the son of God, but he's not choosing to save himself. He's choosing to allow himself to be crucified. And then there was another if the priests, teachers, elders, they were saying, if he is the king, then let him come down from the cross. Then we'll believe in him. There's another if. Well, yes, he is the king. (laughs) The irony of this, he is the king, but he's choosing to allow himself to be crucified. And then I saw one more where they say, If God really wants him, ouch, they're talking about his father. They're just bringing out this, if God really wanted you, this wouldn't happen. Wow, to hear all that, 
that would have just hurt. Yeah, it is ironic, Mary. See, the irony is that in not saving himself, he was saving others. So, Mary, in, in verse 45, after we have this parade of people rejecting Jesus, mocking him as a pretend Messiah, pretend king, and we know that the irony is that he really is, and this is the way that God will rescue his people. At noon, the whole country became dark, and the darkness lasted for a period of time, and Jesus cries out in a loud voice, and this is in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, meaning, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or why have you left me alone? Jesus feels abandoned on the cross. So not only have his friends left him, not only people there are mocking him and rejecting him, at this point he feels truly alone. It's almost like even the sun can't look on him. It just goes dark. These words of Jesus, my God, my God, why have you left me alone, is actually a quote from Psalm 22 and verse 1. And if you would read the whole psalm, it's a lament of a sufferer who feels totally abandoned by everyone, including God himself. And he is left totally exposed, totally defenseless in the presence of his enemies who have one purpose, that is to destroy him. So the psalms lament about that. The psalmist cries out to God because that's all he can do. And by the end of the psalm, he has been rescued by God. He has been vindicated by God. When we hear these words of Jesus, I think we're not just to think of Psalm 22, verse 1, but the whole psalm itself, because in the end, even though Jesus feels alone, cries out, it's a cry of trust that God will vindicate him. And that happens three days later. He's in this earthly body. He is suffering all of the physical suffering that goes along with the crucifixion. But at the same time, he does know his purpose even now. When Luke writes about this event, he does bring in a couple of more things. He talks about Jesus saying, even as they're nailing him to the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He is looking at this thing from two different angles, from above and from below. You know, Mary, I just can't relate to that attitude. He's being tortured by people mentally by their mocking him and accusing him and insulting him, and yet he still can look down at the people and ask God to forgive them. Wow. It is so amazing. Luke also brings in the conversation between Jesus and these two other men being crucified. One is hurling insults. I get the feeling both of them are hurling insults here. Matthew says it that way, but one of them actually turns and says, hey, we actually deserve this. We shouldn't be saying these things to him. He doesn't deserve this. wonder how he knew that. Maybe he had heard Jesus before. Something about Jesus was obvious. This is not right. Jesus being crucified is different. He does not deserve this. When Jesus called out, Eli, Eli, some people there heard him and thought, oh, he must be calling Elijah. And why would they think he might be calling Elijah? Well, Eli is a shortened form of Elijah, but also it was believed that Elijah, God would send Elijah before the great and terrible day of God came. And so they're just thinking, oh, Jesus thinking this is it. He's calling for Elijah. Someone runs and gets a sponge, offer Jesus some vinegar in the sponge, but others just said, no, just let's just wait and see if Elijah comes. So even at the very end, no one was there to help Jesus. And so in verse 50, Jesus cries out a loud voice, 
and then he died. And at that moment, there's already darkness. The curtain in the temple split into two pieces. Uh, the tear started at the top and tore all the way down to the bottom. And then the earth shook. The rocks broke apart. And Matthew says the graves opened and many of God's people who had died were raised from death. They came out of the grave after Jesus was raised from death. They went into the holy city and many people saw them. There's a lot of interesting things going on here. We may not be able to explain everything. When Jesus died, something significant just occurred, something extremely significant. And this is all evidence that this is not just any ordinary crucifixion. All the way from the center of religious life, all the way at the temple. I mean, that curtain is between the holy place and the holy of holies. This is in the center of the temple that this is happening. This is important. The leaders cannot miss this. And just think about that saying, it's earth shattering. It literally (laughs) was that day. The rocks broke. The earth shook. And that darkness, this cannot be denied. There was no one that day that would have missed all of these. They at least saw and heard part of this. And there's no mistaking that this was an important and earth-shattering event. Yeah, that's exactly right. The darkness suggests that we're at the threshold of new creation. Something new is about to happen. With the curtain ripping into the barrier between heaven and earth is being dissolved. And then the graves opening up and these dead coming back into the city is a foreshadowing of our future resurrection. So this is all significant in telling us that something new has occurred. And so history has reached a climatic point, and we get a glimpse into the future, even at the death of Jesus. It's interesting. There are a couple of groups mentioned that do believe in some ways the soldiers. Isn't that amazing? These are the ones that would have seen probably many such events. They would have seen people tortured and killed on these crosses. That was their job. They would have seen that. They were representing Rome. And yet these tough men believe. They know something significant has happened. And and these were the men that crucified Jesus, went through that whole process of crucifixion. And when they see and are witnesses to these events happening, says they were very frightened. And they confess he really was the Son of God. What a wow! What a moment to realize that. Right. Reminds me of me when I realized why Jesus was on that cross. It's convicting that I was part of that. My sins were part of him being on that cross. The other right. group that believed that day had already believed. Some of the women that had followed with Jesus along as he taught and traveled teaching people, those women were there at a distance watching what was happening, horrified, I'm sure, by this event. But I think as many of us women would say, horrified, but you've got to be there with them. They were in the area. They couldn't just run away. You mentioned about the Roman soldiers, the least likely people to make a confession, confess Jesus. And the other bright spot in the story is these women. All of Jesus' friends ran away. The soldiers put him on the cross. That was their job. And then religious leaders and the people were mocking Jesus. But these women are just watching from a distance. They couldn't do anything at the moment, but they watched because they cared for Jesus. 
And Jesus cared for them. Jesus had this understanding and tenderness towards women. And I think that's one of those things that explains why women follow Jesus. Mm. And still today, we know that he understands. Yeah. So I've talked about the story. So how would you outline the story, Mary? Well, I try to keep things to a simple outline. Obviously, you can make this quite detailed, but I'm going to attempt to do that in three points. Firstly, I just said Matthew chapter 27, verses 32 through 34. I just said to the cross, going to the cross. And then verses 35 through 50, on the cross. And finally, verses 51 through 56, I said reactions, and I'm meaning all the things that followed the crucifixion. The earth shattering, the curtain being torn, all of those things, the reactions, what happened following the crucifixions. That's very simple, but three points. David, what would you do in an adult class? I mean, you're teaching a story in a way that people are really, really familiar with. And yet, maybe every time we read it, we learn something new. Yeah, it's another longer story. There's three things I want to offer. The first one is... As a teacher, prepare us a cross to bring to class. And the cross could be nothing really small or tiny, but something about as long as from your elbow to the end of your finger, the upright part, and then the other piece of wood that, to go across. Make them fairly big. Yeah, bring that to the class and use rough wood, not smooth wood, but rough wood. And then read the story. And while reading the story, pass this cross around so that everyone in the class can feel its roughness its texture, and just be reminded of what Jesus went through. So that's one thing you can do as you read the story to make it a little more significant. Okay, a second thing you can do is if you're using PowerPoint, you can include a slide of a significant archaeological discovery in Jerusalem about a half century ago. And it's the only archaeological example of ancient Roman crucifixion. Because a victim was found, the bones of a victim was found in an ossuary, which is a bone box, with the nail still in his heel bone. And it dates from the first century A.D., and that's the same century that Jesus was crucified. And it's the only actually archaeological evidence of crucifixion. I think that would add another dimension to your class if you can show an actual crucified bone and where it was in his heel David, that sounds so interesting. I'm happy to add that link to the show notes. Where would we find that slide, that information? That's from Wikipedia. That's the information from Wikipedia. So that's easy to look up online. Yeah. And the third thing I would do is just ask some questions about the text. And you can ask the class, what stands out as the most significant part of the story for you and why? And just let the class respond to that. And you can read the story again. And this time, as you read the story, just notice the bodily movements of the characters in the cross, because it mentions the soldiers were watching, the people were shaking their heads. How did the different people at the cross bodily react to Jesus? Discuss that and then ask the question, how can you demonstrate with your body, your faith and allegiance to Jesus? For example, when we pray, We normally bow our head and close our eyes. That's using your body as an act of faith in allegiance to Jesus. Or kneeling also is another way. Some people raise their hands. Right. Yeah, just think about that and do that as a response to the bodily movements that we read about in the story. 
And the third question, where do you find faith in this story? And how is it faith? And just be prepared to talk about that. Mary, I'm sure you have great ideas, even though this is a difficult story, but I'm sure you have some very helpful ways that children can understand and relate to this lesson. So what are some of those? This one's a challenge. This is one of those stories that you cannot skip. We must tell about the cross. It is so vital to faith. So on the one hand, we we must tell it. It's so important, so vital, and yet it is a hard story. It's harsh. Talking about things like torture and things like that, that's too much for a little mind. So slowly, carefully, I think, is how I would tell the story in phases. They have their whole life to understand what this means. But the fact is, Jesus died on a cross. That's the fact. And when they're really little, that's probably enough. They don't quite understand what that means, and that's okay. But obviously, a child getting older would understand more and more of those details of this event. But I think I'd start out by just having children think of the places they see crosses. I could bring pictures, maybe just print some pictures from Google or show them on my phone or my device and the different places, even in my neighborhood where they see crosses, the churches on the steeples, and I maybe see it in jewelry or just all sorts of places. They'll see crosses and just get them thinking about that idea of a cross And then maybe a craft with a cross, but do that sensitively. There are some very hard pictures online. I think, again, my go-to is free Bible images. They have some good pictures that you could use, but even a craft of making a cross. You can make a cross out of a lot of things. You can paint a cross, but all of these are reminders of this story. But probably making sure the children understand what it means to be punished for something that you didn't do and how that would feel, they would get that. No one wants to be punished when they didn't do it. So talking about that, and the fact is, Jesus died on the cross, not because he did anything wrong. He said he was dying on the cross, and he was taking the punishment for all of us. I want to talk to children about that in ways they can understand. One way is to draw a cross on a a piece of paper, take a blank piece of paper and just do an outline of a cross, leaving a lot of space in the middle, in the inside of that cross. And just write down all the things you know about the crucifixion, all the things you've talked about when you're teaching and some of the different facts. That's just one way to sort of review But for older children, you might actually want to use that same exercise and on the inside, write the sins they've done, things they've done wrong, things that other people have done wrong. All of those things caused Jesus to die on the cross. He died for everyone's sins. So just bringing that idea to the forefront and finally depending on the children that you have in your class and their ages, they can write their names on that. And to really understand, Jesus died for me. He died for me, Mary. He died for David. And each child can contemplate what that means, that he died for them. So those are just some ways. 
again, this is such an important story. The main lesson, Jesus died on the cross for me. Mary, we've been talking about this story and the significance of it. It is the most significant of all stories. History pivots around this event. But as I look at the story, I'm just reminded that Jesus died on this cross. He endured the suffering that he endured, the insults, the mockery, the humiliation, the shame, all of that for me. And I am so humbled. I hope that I can be able to convey that when I'm teaching children or teaching adults. Well, this humbles me. And I just want to show my love and allegiance to Jesus. If he's done this for me, I need to give him my all. And that's the real heart of a teacher, David. So may God bless you as you speak into the lives of children and adults. Thank you for listening to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast. Subscribe now to listen to new weekly episodes and visit missionbibleclass.org for more free resources to help you share God's Word with children.